This episode is brought to you in partnership with London-based Crew Cafe Coffee. To know me is to know that I love coffee. There's something so special about that first coffee of the day. It's not even a routine for me anymore. It's more of a ritual. But we all know that not all coffees are equal and life is way too short for bad coffee. I'm sure lots of you listening will be familiar with Crew Cafe Coffee. But if you haven't yet discovered it, let me tell you, this is game-changing coffee. From sweet and floral Arabicas grown in Central America to bold and deep Robustas drenched by India's monsoon rains, their coffees are carefully chosen to unlock a whole world of flavour. Their coffee is so good, I've actually stopped drinking coffee with milk, which I never thought I would. And of course, you can still enjoy a milky coffee, but I just find the flavour of the coffee is so good, I don't need to add milk to mine anymore. And much like with wine, and believe me, I am not a wine expert, but you can really taste the different notes from light and bright fruits, dark chocolate and rich earthy ones. It's a whole new world, I'm telling you. They also happen to be 100% organic, B Corp and fair trade. They pay an additional premium to the farmers, which then gets reinvested back into the local community to pay for water supplies, schools and health centres. So this is a company that's creating not only a better cup of coffee for you, but also the farming communities and the planet. What's not to love? This is coffee for connoisseurs. You can find them online at crewcafe.com where you can currently get 50% off their discovery box. That's C-R-U-K-A-F-E dot com. They're also available at Waitrose. Thank you very much to Crew Cafe. Hi, I'm Margie Namora and welcome to another episode of our side dish, The Dream Dinner Party. This is the mini episode where we invite a guest to tell us all about their dream dinner party. This is a game I know a lot of people have played on long car journeys, sitting around the dining room table, perhaps even on a first date. So it really is fun to sit down with a different guest each week and hear who they would invite and what they would serve. The only rule is you're only allowed to invite four people. They can be anyone you want. And I think it's impossible to listen without thinking about your own answers. This week, we have Matt Robbard, who is a critically lauded writer, editor, and author of food and culture books, as well as being the host of the This Is Taste podcast, a show which features culturally relevant and surprising discussions about food and drink. There's nothing Matt doesn't know about restaurants and what's hot, so it was fun to sit down with him, pick his brains, and talk all about dinner parties. I really hope you enjoy. So Matt, tell us how you feel about dinner parties. Do you enjoy throwing them? Do you prefer going to them? What are your general thoughts on the dinner party? Margie, uh, stress, always, <laughs> never ending. Those are what I think about. But honestly, I moved from, I lived in Brooklyn in New York for almost 20 years. I did not throw dinner parties there because I had, you know, 750 square feet yeah. uh, of space. <laughs> now I live in the Hudson Valley, all about the dinner party everyone's invited. Amazing. And do you feel like the dinner party is making a comeback? Because I feel like for a moment they were out of fashion. But I've really noticed definitely in the UK that they're they're coming back in a big way. Have you noticed that? Fully agree, Margie. I think uh, right now we are cooking more than ever at home. 
Um, I think before, you know, we're a restaurant obsessed culture and I think we were loving going out and, and, and spending all of our money, um, at restaurants, um, times eight a week for many, but really the, the swing back to home cooking has been, uh, for a couple of reasons, you know, one, um, it's fun and more people know to cook than ever. And we, we talk to a lot of them on our show and also, um, at taste, we write about it, but also it's freaking expensive. It's expensive to go out to dinner um, as much as we did maybe in 2010. So we have to be smart with where we're dining out. And with that, we're throwing parties. Yeah, it's so fun. It's so fun. Well, I think, yeah, people are loving the dinner party, but also people are not loving the potluck. So we can get into that. How about that little teaser? Yes, that's interesting. Well, the potluck being where everyone brings a dish. Is that very big in the U.S.? It is big, but it is tailing out. And I think there's a strong and vocal contingent against the potluck. Okay. Why is that? I think that it's it's tough when you're when you're hosting a potluck, you don't want everyone to bring their random seven bean dip (laughs) and you know their random um carbonara that is broken. Yeah. And their random, you know, plate of endive with with cheese that doesn't work with endive. Okay. The host's job is to complete the meal and make it cohesive. And the potluck in general does not do that. And I think it's people don't want to admit the potluck is 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 kind of hot trash, but it really is hot trash. <laughs> you heard it here first. The potluck is on its way out. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't thought about as the host, you don't get to dictate what people are bringing. It's literally just whatever they want to bring. Exactly. And, okay. and that can be challenging. And honestly, the dinner party should be the host's job. Guests yeah. should bring wine, but we can get into that. Okay, yeah, we're going to get into that. But before we do, Matt, you are the person to speak to about restaurants and what's hot and what's not. And I know that you were recently in London. Where was the best place that you went to eat in London? Oh, my gosh. I love this question. Um, I had just come back from Puglia. We'd done a, a tour for taste. And I got 48 hours in the city. And I had such a time. Let me tell you about this. Brat. I know it's not new. But it is amazing. So Amazing. Good. What do you think? Yeah, so good. So good. What did you have? Oh, my God. I feel like I had a whole fish. I had <laughs> some grilled lettuce that I thought was incredible. I just love the way they use the full grill there. Mm. And it was my birthday. My friend Ayal took me out and I had a beautiful uh, piece of chocolate cake. <gasps> do you feel pressure when you come somewhere just for a limited amount of time? Because it means you've got a limited number of meals that you have to, you know, fulfill. Do you feel pressure to make sure that each of those meals is amazing? It is such a pressure. <laughs> it had been a several years since I've been in London and at a great 48 hours. I got to go see Cynthia at Rambutan, <gasps> which is right in Borough Market. Have you had a chance to check that place yeah, out? Yeah, so good. So, so good. So good. She's amazing. And and I thought that that meal, even though it was like week three or four, felt like the restaurant had been there for years. Let me just, I went to, I went to St. John Bread, obviously always try to make to St. John and that was quite the lunch. Yeah. I went to Beagle Bake, which, mm. or Bagel Bake, I guess you could call it. Bagel is the word spelled very differently. These... The Jewish section of Brick Lane is amazing to me. Yeah, it is amazing. So, Matt, welcome to your dream dinner party. We're going to begin by talking about your guest list. Who are you going to invite? Love this question. I thought about it um, a long time. And I, I really, I, I spent several hours debating, should I go both a blend of living and dead? 
I actually want to go all living okay. because I want this conversation to be about modern events. Mm. So the four individuals I've chosen, I've chosen two food writers who I really, really adore and love their work and appreciate it. And I've chosen two chefs who I really adore. And, I'm, and I know them all. This is not trying to be a flex um, and, and, and trying to be cool, but I, I really want a dinner party. It's really nice when everyone kind of knows everyone or at least the host knows everyone, I guess I could say. Mm. Um, so my four are this. First is Pete Wells. He's the restaurant critic of the New York Times. Yes. He's been doing it. He's been in the game for 15 years at that role and as an editor there. There's no voice in food I respect more than Pete Wells. I think he puts in the work. I think he's an extremely articulate human being. Have you ever cooked for him before? See, that's the thing. I've dined out with him a couple times, but I've never cooked for the man. And I would love to cook for the arguably the world's most important food critic. I mean, that would be amazing. Also, I like this choice of guests because this means that this dinner party could actually happen. Exactly. I'm trying to um, (laughs) actually make this happen because this is a teaser. They are all living and they all could seemingly fit into a room with me cooking for them. So I think it's called manifesting, isn't it, Matt? (laughs) Manifest. Yes, Margie, (laughs) that is the word that is I'm trying to manifest. Okay, so who's next on the list? The next is another writer, somebody I know and have dined with. Her name is Priya Krishna. Mm. Priya is a cookbook author, a journalist, and just an incredibly cool and smart hang. And Priya is just somebody who is always like all these individuals are curious about the world of food. Mm, Okay, this is shaping up to be a good one. Who is next? The next is a chef and the next two will be chefs. And it'll again, I'm teasing out our our theme here. (laughs) She's known around the world um, as a pastry chef, but she's also just somebody who I think has a lot more to talk about than pastry. Her name is Christina Tosi. Do you know who she is? I do, I do. Great choice. For your listeners, she's the founder of Milk Bar, which um, you know is a, a chain of uh, bakeries and, and activations. And, and she's known for a cereal milk cookie and is just such a, a, a smart baker. But also if you speak with her and her husband, Will Gadara, they, they just think about food and culture and they think deeply about the way they want food to, to kind of work into our lives. She's also just really fun and is into like the more whimsical side of food. And I think at a dinner party, you know, you got some serious moments, you've got some light moments. We've got the two journalists here with the capital J's. We've got the, you know, we've got some serious topics to talk about. And then we've got Christina, who's going to always have a joke. Yeah. Do you find that is often the case with pastry chefs? Do they often bring the fun? Oh my gosh, absolutely not. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's a great question. And it's it brings up a point. Pastry chefs, you know, they're waking up at three in the morning. That's true. They're the, some of the most precise, intense individuals. Alex Dupac comes to mind. Alex is a is a really smart guy. I, I don't know if fun is the word I would say with him. And he's just one of many. I think pastry is, it's an animal. And if you're in the industry, fun is not really the word. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good point. I think I was just thinking from it, from like a food writing point of view, mm. there's something about pastry and pudding and dessert that's so not a necessity. It's just like a pure joy. So I just wondered whether there was any connection there in your experience of the people who who create that stuff that's sort of not not a necessity, but it's sort of superfluous to 
how we live, isn't it? Like we don't need pudding. It's just something gorgeous and delicious that we love to enjoy. But you're right that as a art form, being a pastry chef is very intense. Well, you you bring up a really strong point, and it's true. Pastry is uh, dessert pudding is is definitely extra. It also has, is such a childhood memory, and we think mm. about birthday parties, and we think about you know after a sporting event having a, a box of cookies there, and and really there is a lot of joy with pastry. And I think certainly there are plenty of people, folks who work in pastry and especially in editorial who are really fun and yeah. cool people too. So I'm not saying they're all intense. Yeah. In case any of them are listening, Matt thinks you're very cool and very fun. <laughs> I think my point was that I don't want to uh, uh, like make uh, like Christina's work. What she's done is exacting and precise. Yeah. And I don't want I think it's actually more precise and savory. Oh, definitely. And so it's not all smiles and, and balloons and, and cupcakes, even though that's like the end result. Yes, it's an amazing thing. It is. Matt, you've only got one seat left at the dream dinner party. Who are you going to fill it with? Well, I didn't want to take this opportunity. You have a you have a definitely a, a UK audience as well as American audience. And this is an individual who is resonates with both. Um, his name is Jamie Oliver. Who's that? Yeah, who's that guy? <laughs> but I wanted to just say this. Um, Jamie Oliver, to me, is doing really important work. And it can't be stressed enough. I'm like full team Jamie. And it's not just because he's a really, really smart cook and educator. And, and the way he thinks about food and talks about food is is really just quite genius at times. And I, I really respect that what he's built and what he does with all the policy work he's doing. I want him there to like, just like, he's going to obviously throw some opinions in there. The guy has some really strong opinions, which I love, but I just want him to also bring in important policy topics, which I think is really going to be a key part of our conversation. Yeah, no, you're so right. He's, he's someone who's been incredibly successful and is now using the platform that he's built for the greater good, really, which I think is, it's always really impressive to see that. So Matt, set the scene for us. Where is the dream dinner party taking place? Can I give you two choices and you decide? I'm like so on the fence. Yes. Um, great. So I want to be outside. Okay. I, I think outside, when you're dying outside and you have like a beautiful setup, it really brings everyone together and it calms everyone as opposed to being inside. And I want to be overlooking something. The two choices are this. The Big Island of Hawaii, we're outside on the lanai. We, we are talking, you know, we're, we're, the, the wind is blowing. We're, we're, we're feeling the warmth. The other choice is, is I'm thinking either Emilia Romagna or Tuscany. I'm in the Italian countryside. I'm out in a vineyard. I'm overlooking some grapes. I'm maybe tasting some grapes, drinking some grapes. And But the wind is blowing. It's warm. Those are my two two options. Oh my goodness. How are we going to decide between those? Those both I know, right? I, Because it's a dream dinner party, why don't you have the starter in yeah. Hawaii and then we can fly over to Tuscany for the <laughs> remainder? I don't know. It's a dream dinner party. <laughs> Pro move right there. Pro move to give give the both choices. That's a professional podcast move okay, right there. Yeah, Love that. Okay, we're going with that. And when you're planning a dinner party, whether it's a dream dinner party or not, are you very organized or are you very laid back? What's your approach? Do you like to have everything prepared before everyone arrives or are you standing at the cooker with a glass of <laughs> wine in hand? I think I'm organized. I work with chefs on these book projects. And they've always taught me like a simple rule, which is stay organized. I have to have a list. I have to have some times. It's just for me, it makes the guest, it makes their life a little bit better when I'm not freaking out, yeah. right? I'm not yeah. like, because it really does make the meal very uncomfortable when the host is like 
not there present and and maybe swearing a lot. Yeah. Well, and then you just feel like you're a private chef at the dinner party that you're hosting rather than getting to enjoy everyone's company. It's such a good point. (laughs) I imagine because you've written cookbooks and it's what you do for a living, I imagine people have quite high expectations when they come to yours. Do you ever feel an element of pressure? Oh my gosh, all the time. (laughs) And especially the pressure is when I am making a dish or testing a dish that I've never made before. Oh yeah. And you can always fix things, right? You Mm. can fix things with sauce, with citrus, with lemon, you can fix seasoning. But really, if it comes to something like, like if conceptually it's off, if like the whole like idea, like if you pick the wrong protein and you've overcooked it, you know, that to me is where I, I really fall off the wagon. Yeah, that's really stressful. <laughs> yeah, that's stressful. But I try with dinner parties, especially if it's this esteemed guest list, I really I have like five go to's. And I really want to make it feel like I know what I'm doing. And also another thing is presentation. I want to know when my plates are sorted out. I, I really want to get make sure the garnishes are right. Because you can really oversell a really kind of poor tasting dish with presentation. Oh, completely. That's like half of my philosophy on food is that we eat with our eyes. So even, you know, a pizza from the freezer, you can make it look beautiful with a lovely laid table and flowers and garnishes and sauces. Oh, yeah. Throw a little olive oil on like a tombstone pizza. Yeah, some hot honey. Little rocket. hundred percent. Rocket arugula <laughs> and hot honey can make that like, you know, $8 frozen pizza better. Yeah, yeah, completely. I think that's a really important lesson for people to learn early on is like start with mm-hmm. the presentation and work backwards from that. And always when someone says, oh my goodness, did this take you ages? Even if it didn't, you should always say yes. <laughs> yeah. I always say yes. Like, yeah, I've been working for like, you know, it's been like six days of prep. Um, So a very important question for your dinner parties. What time do you like to ask people to arrive? And then what time do you actually want them to arrive? It's a great question. I I like starting early. I like to say six and and start the the eating at 6.37. You know, in the winter months, it gives you a little bit of light depending on where you're at in the world. So you want to like not, have it be super dark. And I just like starting early. I think people are fresher. And I really want to be mindful that dinner parties shouldn't go to like midnight or one that those are like house parties. Yeah, let's get people home. Let's get them up early. And they're like, Oh, that was a nice night versus like, I'm so hungover. and don't, you know, what I mean, totally. Yes. It's like people who have five day long weddings, which sorry, if you had a five day long wedding map, it's too long too long okay so all of your esteemed guests have now arrived what are you going to serve them as a drink and like maybe are they going to have a canapé or an appetizer whilst they're standing around absolutely i think it's really important to get drink in hand right away yeah for me i like to start with a very specific single drink so what i'm going to offer are two negronis i'm going to offer us a one negroni that has booze that is i like my negronis equal parts i'm more of a I'm an equal part guy. If I'm going to lean, I'm going to go a little bit of gin. I like Plymouth as my my Negroni gin. Shout out to the UK. Like I think Plymouth is my guy. Um, Carpano Antica, probably for the vermouth, though Dolan works fine. And definitely, you know, Campari, uh, no substitute. It's like 
Coca-Cola and Cuba Libre or, or rum and Coke, you, you gotta go with the standard. So that's the boozed up Negroni. The, the NA Negroni, I like this product called the Phony Negroni. Um, this Brooklyn company called St. Egregious does it. It's in the bottle. And really there's a lot of like NA Negronis out there. This one is the best by far and I love it. And so I'm handing my guests either a full Negroni or an NA Negroni, depending if they drink and, that's it for the the, the booze element. Okay. I like to keep it tight, a tight list. Yeah, that sounds like a great way to start. And so we should say, so right now that you're on a beach in Hawaii, people's, yep. you know, barefoot in the sand, the yep. waves are lapping. What are they going to have to eat to go with the Negroni? So if we're in Hawaii, I think ceviche is a really nice way to start. Yeah. I think you'd definitely start with like a citrus um, uh, cured seafood, a local seafood on the rocks. Mm. I want it to be delicious. I want it to be high impactful, but I really do want it to be light. So I'm thinking a light ceviche. If we were in Tuscany, I would definitely switch over to the cheese side. God, I mean, cheese is like the best food, isn't it? So so good. Like we'll do like a soft, probably some kind of blue, maybe like a humble fog. And we'll do maybe a triple cream, like from um, Cowboy Creamery to American cheeses. I think domestic cheeses are incredible in America. Uh, maybe something from Vermont. And then definitely like doing something hard with like either probably a sheep's cheese. I actually like eating a pecorino, just chunks of it. Ooh, you know, yeah. it's so common in cooking, but honestly, just eat the chunk of pecorino. It's so, so makes your palate, it's full of mommy. It makes your palate like really excited. And I love it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Those are two excellent options. So as we move through to the table, what are you thinking about for starter? What's everyone going to drink as they're sitting down? Okay. I'm going to offer two wines. Um, I'm going to offer something with spark bubbles and I'm going to offer a, a white wine. So probably Lambrusco. I love, I love the Emilia Romagna wine. Um, I think it goes really well with a lot of food, particularly Asian food. I think it's really nice with pizza as well. And I'm also going to offer a white. So I'm going to offer something very cold and very light. I like Portuguese Vino Verde. Uh, there's a producer called Afros that I really like that's biodynamic. Yeah, delicious. And what are you thinking about the starter? Okay, so I'm definitely, I'm thinking I want to have a pasta course mm. and I want to have a seafood course. Okay. And I have a pudding dessert idea. Okay. So with pasta... I think that's really, I love seafood and pasta because it, again, lightness, we're not going heavy proteins. Pasta for me, I like, I'm going to like have a theme of, 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 of lemon coming through this, this party. I think like having a lemon, like a lemon pesto with, um, with uh, pistachios, it's a go-to dinner party dish for me. And, and the, the, the pasta choice typically, um, a tubular pasta. I like tubular pasta. You can make the pistachio pesto well ahead of time. And I like doing individual bowls versus family style, especially if we're doing a dinner party. I just want to have like five bowls and we're good. And of your guests, who are you most intimidated to cook for? Oh my gosh. I mean, Pete is definitely number one. Okay. A, because Pete Wells has reviewed restaurants and is is like has his, his opinions. Yeah. Um, though I think Pete and I and many share um, a home cooked meal is certainly indexes much higher than a restaurant meal. So you can definitely 
please me greater with home cooked food than restaurant food. So yeah, you, be... you're not going to a friend's house with that same hat on. Like you're just Definitely. happy to be there and enjoy food. You're not judging. I'm not judging. I'm not even no. if it's 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 like objectively not yeah. delicious. <laughs> I'm still going to be very very happy. One B is Jamie. You know, Jamie is such an Italian specialist, and it's it's his mm. it's his spot. He's probably been to um you know he's had uh pesto uh, from from the source he's had an italian nonna show him exactly how to make it yes so he's i'm nervous that the pesto is going to break to be honest so with cooking pasta like finishing it in the pan making sure it emulsifies making sure you don't have clumps you want it to be like very cohesive and velvety you want to add a little bit of pasta stock water and 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 serve it right away i'm still going to probably mess it up and be very embarrassed no <laughs> i, I have easy. every every faith in you i think it's going to go well and who are you sitting next to by the way it's a five top so i'm it's four and i'm at the head man okay at the head so i so i don't have to make that choice okay. and I, I also want to set i'm probably going to put p reverse with Christina because he's reviewed her restaurants and that'll be that'll mm. just be fun and almost a little sadistic for me to put them across <laughs> from each other. Priya and Jamie, I think Priya will have a lot to talk to Jamie about. And I think they definitely are um one and the same in, in thinking about big ideas in food. And I really I think they'd hit it off. Yeah, I think so. I think this dream dinner party actually needs to happen. Margie, are you gonna come and it's gonna be a six <gasps> top? It's gonna be me and you and the Matt, four of I thought you'd never ask. Yes, I'm no, there. I'll help happen. I'll help you with the pesto. I can be the I'll help you with the serving. I bet. And you know what? I feel like we can make this happen in, in somewhere in London or New York. I yeah. think we could get. Okay. Matt, this could be together. the first ever dream dinner party to happen in real life. Let's do it. Okay. So now the start has been cleared. We're on to the main course. What are you thinking yeah. for the main course? And I'm going to serve some farmed steelhead from Hudson Valley Fisheries. Mm. Um, it's the most exquisite steelhead trout you're going to eat anywhere. And it's local to New York State. And oh my gosh, Margie, it is absolutely the greatest fish you're going to eat. And the guests are going to love it. Really, the reason it's great is because when they, they they butcher the fish once a week on Tuesdays, and they can get to your house by Friday at the latest, Wednesday if you're lucky. And you know what? You can't get fish that fresh. Mm. You really can't. And, and the fact that it's a farmed fish allows this really this freshness. And it's some of the lightest crispest fish you're going to have. Oh, sounds gorgeous. And how do you prepare that? Do you have a special way that you like to serve it? So when I'm having a dinner party, one super important fact is I don't want the house to be super smoky and super yeah. fishy. Yeah. I don't, I'm not frying the fish. It's really hard. Like, you know, I, I don't, I'm not a huge outdoor cooker. And and if, if I, if I was, I'd, I'd cook everything outside. Um, I'm thinking it is a going to be a quick roast in the oven with very high quality olive oil, mm. some sea salt, a little bit of fresh dill. And I'm going to have lemon wedges on the side um, per the guests. And when I serve it, I'm going to put a little bit of flaky salt on it, um, which probably is breaking some rules with seafood, but whatever. Um, it's back to that presentation point. Mm. I like to see a little flake on there. Um, and I'm probably going to quarter it. I'm going to have two large fillets. I'm going to do a lot. I, I think, again, I'm not going to do a lot of courses here. We've already had our cheese. We've already had our ceviche. But I'm going to make sure that there's it is sectioned off 
either at the table, I'm going to serve it to them sectioned off, or I'm going to already have it plated. And then for veg, I'll have a little probably local in season. If it's spring, I'll have asparagus. If it's late summer, I might roast some tomatoes with with rice uh, and do a, a stuffed roasted heirloom tomato, mm-hmm. um, maybe some sun gold tomatoes as well. I'll work those in maybe some broccoli if it's if it's winter. I love broccoli so much. So good. Ah, this is sounding amazing. Okay. Love it. So everyone has thoroughly enjoyed all of the courses so far. Are you going to finish with a dessert? Absolutely. I like to call it pudding though. Let's just go Oh good. There. Okay. I was going to say pudding and then I've just been told off before by Americans. So yeah, let's call it pudding. Let's call it re- <laughs> respect to pudding. We know that it's not literally pudding. If you okay. know anything, it's not jello pudding. No, um, no I, the pudding is going to be this. And again, it's about lightness. It's about keeping the theme. I'm thinking citrus is a theme here, mm. starting with the ceviche, moving on towards this, this fish that has a little lemon uh, wedges served with it. To close, I'm thinking I'm going to do a grapefruit pie, Ooh. which is a little spin on the lemon meringue pie. But instead of lemons, I'm going to do grapefruit. Oh, wow. That sounds great. It's super great. It's really easy. It's condensed milk. It's egg yolk. And it's grapefruit juice um, in a in a homemade crust. A graham cracker is what I probably do. Um, I probably would serve it with a little bit of fresh cream. Ooh. Oh my goodness. That sounds amazing. I need to try that. It's worth it if you get it right. And mm. it, it, is, it is beautiful. And there's a great book called Pie is Messy that, um, that's coming out, I, I think, very soon that has a recipe for it. I was just looking through it recently and I was like, oh man, that's awesome. Yeah. Oh, that sounds so good. Okay. I'm going to definitely have to look that up. So the food has all been eaten. What happens at the end of your dinner party? Is there dancing? Do you go out? Mm-hmm. Do you play games? What do you like to do? Well, first off, there's a lot of gossip because we've yes. got chefs and, and, and media folks in the room. So there's like some good media gossip happening. Like who's going to be the next editor-in-chief of Bon Appetit? Like, yeah. But here's what I'm saying. Here's why I picked this dinner party. We've got two food writers. We've got two chefs. I am feeling this divide. I think the chef community is really distrustful right now. It's more than ever towards food writers. Mm. I think there's individuals in food from the cooking point of view who have, I would truly say, have shit-talked food writers to a level that makes us feel like we're mad. We're like, what are you talking about? You don't know what our job is. I want to bring together media and professional cooking. And I want to like talk about where we're at what are mm. we not understanding about our jobs? I want between P- Pete and Priya and Jamie, um, you know, and Christina, I want there to be an open dialogue because we're all on the same side. We love food so much. We love it, but we we shouldn't be fighting. We shouldn't mm. be, be bickering about, oh, this writer sucks or man, that chef you know, doesn't know what they're doing. I feel there's a way to compromise. Yeah, that's so interesting. So do you feel like that divide has always been there, but it's now just suddenly people are being much more vocal about it? Or do you think things have changed? Great follow-up question. I think, Margie, it's important to point out that I think the folks have been more emboldened than ever to speak out. And I think mm-hmm. that's a good thing. I think between social media and and letting, you know, substacks and and just there's been pl- platform after platform have been have been offered to folks. And I think there's been um, definitely a lot of really great dialogue between the communities and a lot of change. Um, so that that is part of it. But with that, with all that talk and all that positivity, there has been a bit of negativity 
Um, I think there's like this like impetus to say, oh, well, restaurants are overpriced as a food writer. You know, ah, oh. and then there's a from the food writer point of view, like chefs are are bullies and and every chef is 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 bad to his staff or her staff. And there's a lot of like, there's like, it's hard to make these decisions. Like, is that chef a good chef or a bad chef? Meaning morally. And I think, so I think a lot of chefs like distrust the writing creator, the content community as well. So Mm. I think having this conversation about where we're at right now with cost of goods rising and, and it being more and more difficult to run a restaurant. uh, I think writers need to have some empathy and actually need to realize how does it work? Like how do restaurants make money before they say, well, that $46 entrees, man, that's expensive. On the flip side, I think chefs need to be a little more cognizant of like food media. We are covering a lot of different things. We aren't getting paid anything. um, And our job is very hard and we love food as well. So I want both sides to kind of realize that there's challenges everywhere. Yeah, I love this. Okay, this is a dinner party with purpose. Do you think it's going to get quite heated or do you think... Oh, it's going to be heated. I think there's going to be some... I think each side will have certainties in their minds that are like unbreakable and unimpeachable. And I think there will be moments that I think one or two of the chefs or both of them will be like stand firm that media have really gone too far. Yeah. Um, with calling out and and maybe, you know, the cancel culture element of it. I think mm. there's a lot of distrust from all elements of, of the chef world that you see it play out everywhere. Um, the James Beard Awards, you just see a lot of like just real angst about these uh, towards media. So I think there may be some of that, but I can't obviously speak for these two chefs that I've proposed. Uh, they may have their own thoughts, but yeah. I do think um, it will be ultimately a really nice evening uh, because we all care about food. And also it might not even get into that side. And maybe we just talk about like seafood. We talk maybe the whole dinner. (laughs) The grapefruit pie. (laughs) Right. It might just be about the food on the table and and it might just be like nerding out about the food. And and that might might be the tone as well. And maybe Mm. these four individuals are people I really respect. And I think we, we would have a nice time. Yeah. And at your dream dinner party when you're hosting, what time do you like people to have gone by? 10. 10 p.m. home by 11, sleeping by 11.30 if it's a Friday night. I want my guests to really have a good holistic time and and feel like they're not like super beat up at the end uh, of the night. And like there's a saying, isn't there, that you should always leave whilst you're still having a good time. Like never wait until you're not having a good time. So when you're hosting and and from some of your guests, does is it better to have everyone leave at the same time? Or the lingering? Because do you feel like lingering is 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 part of it? And that's like the joy you actually get to have that one-on-one. Yeah. And then sometimes you know that the lingerer is lingering because they feel bad that everyone else just left, but they don't know that you're actually happy that everyone left. Um, yeah, it's very, it's very tricky, isn't it? Loads of politics involved, isn't there? So of all your dream dinner party guests, this is difficult because you know them all personally, but do you have a favorite that? Who do you hang out with the most out of all of them? They're all favorites, honestly, but I feel like Pete and I have a vibe because we're both in in the food writing game deep um, and have a lot to talk about. Same with Priya, to be honest, mm. um, and who I, I've who's been a friend for a long time, and is a great dinner uh, uh, partner date. So I think. Yeah. Those are probably my favorites because they are peers and colleagues. Yeah, that's a, that's a very a diplomatic answer. And one important question when you're doing a dinner party, are you the kind of person that 
we'll just leave it and deal with the mess in the morning? Or do you have to get everything sorted before you go to bed? Oh my God, everything needs to be put away. Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're not doing a full scrub down if it's like 2 a.m., but I'm definitely not leaving anything in the sink. Okay. Uh, that's just one of those things. Uh, and again, it's like through osmosis working with chefs. Yeah. And just like writing books with chefs and just seeing how they operate. And like, it's like exceptional how clean um, they are like mm. with everything. I mean, to a level that makes me like very, very nervous when I see them. <laughs> I'm like, I, don't, I could never be that clean. Um, I didn't have a dishwasher for like 20 years. Um, so that was always like, you really got to juggle and do a lot of scrubbing. I have a dishwasher now. So it's a little easier, but still it's, it's definitely, no one wants to wake up to like a lot of work. Such a bad feeling. So Matt Robbard, that was your dream dinner party. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. Margie, it has been such a pleasure. I love what you do. So there we have it. Matt's dream dinner party is over. The food has been eaten and the guests have gone home. I do hope you enjoyed today's episode and make sure you're subscribed to catch all episodes of The Dream Dinner Party and Desert Island Dishes. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.